0: well, let's take a little time to meet one of those personalities who is a minister of the gospel and working with Muslim people around the world. Mani Erfan is in Australia and he's here on our shores to address some Iranian Christian communities around Australia. Marnie, welcome along to 2020. Thank
1: you very much. It's my pleasure.
0: Marnie, let me take you back to those early days. Yeah. Uh, born in Iran okay. and raised in a Shiite yeah. Muslim home, you came to Christ. Tell me about the encounter you yeah. had when you actually became a Christian and converted from your Islamic roots.
1: I, I had a miraculous event. Um, it was 1987. I was a student uh, in uh, University of Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, um, I, everything was going well for me I at my school, my work, uh, and everything was basically just running. And I was just happy in my faith and happy in my life until suddenly a number of events happened that essentially just uh, dismantled my world. I lost my job. I uh, lost my relationships. I lost my money. Uh, I was kicked out of school. I was accused of a, a crime that I hadn't done. Ended up actually in jail. Uh, and here's an Iranian kid, a 20-year-old foreign students you can only imagine the distress and the tragedy that i faced all in all within a span of two weeks all of these bad events happened. so being a muslim naturally i start praying to allah asking my god to help me out uh, and uh, this went on for about three three and a half months i was getting no answers more distress more troubled. and in this time frame a christian man who was going to my same courses in college before and it befriended me. Had invited me a number of times to his house and you know was basically befriending me, and showed me a lot of love and care, tried to share the gospel with me, but I would not listen to him at all. In fact, on one occasion, I kicked him out of my car, driving down uh, uh, in the highway in Gainesville. Uh, but uh, in uh, July of 1987, I was invited to a business function just to get out of town, get out of the house, get out of that depression that I was in. Uh, I was basically not sleeping at night. I was distressed because uh the court dates that i had were facing me were coming up i may have been uh if i was convicted faced about 20 years in jail and i could not have imagined living like that so i was quite afraid very distressed and quite uh upset so when i went to this function just to get out of houston on the third day of the function it was a sunday it was in a hotel room and they invited me for last function i thought it was going to be a business function but they actually didn't tell me it was going to be church so i ended up in that church service uh, and didn't want to leave because it was rude for me to leave culturally it was rude for me to be invited to someplace and leave I sat there didn't really listen to the preacher uh, the message was over they asked people to stand up which I did and then they asked for an altar call now mind you at this point I had not listened to the message I did not want to go forward and I didn't even know what the man had preached about but someone pushed me very 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 quickly from the backside and I had to catch myself so I wouldn't fall so I turned around and I told someone, who's pushing me? And nobody was behind me, so I'm thinking, these uh, Christian people are very sneaky. They push you, and they're just going to go hide. And the man of God asked for a second altar call, and then I got pushed again, and this time I fell on my knees, and I held on to the chair in front of me. Uh, again, I didn't know what was happening. I looked around. There was no one behind me. I had no intention of going. And this went on for seven altar calls. And by the seventh altar call, I was on the ground with my hands, both of my hands, on the chair and my knees on the ground literally i felt uh two hands and two feet behind me basically just forcing me to go and i didn't go it was very very stubborn i really did not intend to change my religion at all Um, but when it was over and i didn't go forward i grabbed my stuff the service was over and i wanted to leave and one of the christian folks out there which was a friend of mine who had invited me to the service um, he asked me how did i like the service and i looked at him and i simply wanted to say something like it was good, you know, it was okay. But I said out of my mouth, involuntarily, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Mm. And I was shocked with what I said. He was shocked with what I said. I ran away from him, leaving the the hotel into the lobby. Another person stopped me, asked me how I was doing, and I repeated the same confession to him. And I was trying to get away from the second man when I turned around. The pastor was behind me, and he asked me the same question: How are you? and I repeated the confession a third time. And at that time, I've confessed to three people that I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And mind you, I don't know what the plan of salvation is, and I don't even want to say these words. They're coming out of my mouth uh, involuntarily. So I run to my room, get on my knees, never really prayed that way before, because as a Muslim, I wouldn't pray just sitting down or just, you know, not having the the obligatory prayer. I sat there, and I looked at uh, uh, myself, and I said, I have no idea what I did. I confessed the that Jesus was the son of God and I, he's my Lord. Maybe he's trying to tell me something. So I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, God, if you're real and if you exist, I've been praying to you in Allah's name for about four months. Nothing has happened. Now suddenly I confess this person you call Jesus. I have all these problems that I have in my life, and I laid them all before God. And I said, I have this problem. I have financial problems. I have uh legal problems, emotional problems, all of those. And I have my court date in nine days, which is going to be a disaster if I get convicted. So will you help me and save me? And if you do, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And that's how I prayed. And as I finish praying, I can only explain to you that the peace of God came to my life in an undeniable way. I, I could not imagine it. I started calming down. I went home that night, slept all night like a baby for the first time in four months. And then the next morning when I went to the bank to take out the last remaining amount of my resources, which was about $15, there was a supernatural deposit of $2,000 into my account that nobody could explain and nobody ever took from my account. That was the beginning of the miracles of that week. And by Friday, everything that I'd asked for came to pass.
0: Marnie, truly an encounter with the God of the Bible. Then you were a part of church life, you grew in levels of maturity, and you felt God's calling on you was to preach the gospel to the Muslim world. How did that actually come about?
1: Well, you know, I I basically um, got saved in a very supernatural way, in an incredible way. I I tangibly uh, felt the living God, and really for a Muslim to have a tangible experience with the living God, was an incredible experience. Uh, The gospel of grace was an incredible miracle. I actually uh, was introduced to the gospel of the grace after I'd already had the encounter with, with, with the miracle working power of God, because that following Sunday I went to church and just heard the gospel for the first time. Mind you, I had not even heard the gospel. So it was incredible that the gift of grace was there, and I was even more excited about that. So about two and a half, three years later, when I was attending a at Lakewood Church in Texas, and I was going to Bible college there. I just felt God calling me to preach this gospel to to Iranians, and I was very afraid of that. Uh, I thought, no way, God, just don't send me to them. Send me to anybody else but Muslims. I don't want to teach the, I don't want to preach the gospel to them. They're they're very difficult people to preach to. They're going to be persecuting me, and I had made a lot of false conclusions about Muslims and what their willingness it is to receive the gospel. And what I had made a mistake of was that God had already planned by his divine intervention to start opening the hearts of a nation. And I had no idea that the nation of Iran was ready for the gospel. And he had just called me, like many others, to reach that nation. And so the journey started by some home groups, and uh, I obediently went to some small groups. And later on, it ended up being a pastor of a few local churches. And then when the TV ministry initiated, we became an impact upon the nation itself. So it was just a small walk of obedience, step by step. And God had already opened the hearts of so many Iranians in the last, um, we believe that in the last uh, at least 20 years, at least two and a half to three million Iranians have come to know the Lord, minimum, by different means. And God only knew that back in 1990 when he called us.
0: I want to talk to you some more about preaching the gospel to the Middle East via satellite TV. Yes, Mani Erfan is our sure. guest. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're talking with Marnie Airfan, a minister of the gospel who preaches the gospel on television via satellite TV to the Middle East. And we've heard that two to three million people have come to Christ as a result of the satellite TV broadcasts. Marnie, when you first started your television satellite TV broadcasts, was there a risk that you were taking in doing that, or is it just the fact that there was a safe opportunity to be able to bring the gospel to people who were desperately in need of it?
1: Well, no. At the time that we initiated it back in 2001, uh, there was actually no satellite TV broadcasting available to Iran itself. Uh, in fact, uh, back in 2000, when we got the vision from God to be on TV, it was a miracle to see how it could even possibly happen. It was the, we were just called by God to be in media. We had no idea how to do it and what the mechanism was going to be. So by faith, we produced programs uh, in our local, you know, by a local studio that was available in the states. We put the programs on the shelf, not knowing when and if ever we're going to be able to broadcast them. But September 11, 2001 happened, as you know, and that was the big day that the terrorist attacks in America happened. And then about a month and a half later, we got a call that there was a small Iranian TV station uh, that was initiating satellite broadcasting for the first time in the history of Iran to Iran. That had never happened before. And that was December of 2001. They were looking for programmers because there was really no history of prior programming, and we called them and said, well, we have Christian programming, and we, were, we really didn't know if they were going to accept any Christian programming because these were secular Muslims owning these stations. But by the grace of God and the miracle of God, they accepted it, they broadcasted it, and the story started from there. And the, and the, the message was so well received in Iran. It was such like a water in the desert, fresh water on the desert. And uh, uh, even with the half an hour a week with how we started, Uh, it was an impact, a tremendous impact on the nation initially.
0: Marnie, the satellite television broadcasts continue today and there's programming on there from many other preachers. What sort of reception do you receive from people who are Arabic speakers, uh, people in Iran, and not only Iran, but all of those Middle Eastern countries? What sort of reception are you receiving?
1: Well, we're primarily, you know, our mission is to the Iranian people. So, you know, we, we have seen the Iranians respond from at least 60 to 70 different countries that they're dispersed in and also within the nation of Iran. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we have seen by just doing some initial uh, programming by using the Arabic language and Turkish language and azeri language by using them as part of our programming platform, we've seen a very, very nice response, especially in the Arab world. If Iran was open to the Gospel, start being open to the Gospel 20 years ago, I can tell you that right now certain parts of the Arab world, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, especially Iraq, are absolutely open to the Gospel. People are coming to the Lord. In fact, I just came from a conference um, two weeks ago in Lebanon in which I was ministering to Syrian pastors and leaders, and I heard dozens and dozens of stories of miraculous conversions by people tying in and watching satellite TV and getting their miracles across uh, different ministries that are using satellite TV uh, in, in in Damascus, in parts of Syria, in the war-torn areas. And God is really moving amongst Muslims there. So the power of satellite TV or media, it cannot be underestimated.
0: Mani, you're in Australia, and connecting with uh, Iranian yeah. churches here in Australia. Are there yeah. many Iranian churches? And uh, what sort of relationship and bond do you build with them?
1: Well, there's at least uh, close to about... 14 or 15 churches from what I can gather. It is my first opportunity to connect with them personally as I made my rounds here. Um, It's interesting that they all know us, even though I don't know any of them personally. uh, It was very easy to connect with them because they all get our teachings from TV. So they feel a connection to us because they all know me and our ministry for the last five or six years, uh, uh, most of them. So uh, that's, again, another part of the power of the, the satellite TV for, uh, you know, kinds of ministries like us that we deal with uh, persecuted churches that don't have a lot of denominationalism and a lot of uh, options for other sources of teaching. You know, we have one satellite TV or maybe two or three, and uh, that's it. That's their source of teaching. That's their source of upbringing. So uh, it was really easy for me to call and connect and let them know I'm coming and we were very well received, and I'm going actually traveling to a number of these churches right now to get to know the leaders and to impart to them some blessings and was excited to find out that, for example, there's five churches in Melbourne. There's at least four in Sydney. There's one in Brisbane, and there's one in Adelaide, and it was uh, just uh, just in the four cities that I'm aware of. And I-, I would told you that in 10 years ago or eight years ago, there probably would have been none.
0: Well, Marnie, I'm sure you'll get a great reception when you visit those churches. I'll point people to yeah. your website, Marnie Erfan. That's M-A-N-I-E-R-F-A-N dot com, where people can get to know you and the sort of ministry that you're involved yes. in. Marnie, okay. it's just a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being with us on 2020 today.
1: Thank you very much. And may, I, may I say one last thing just as a
0: sure.
1: blessing for your viewers? Uh, please pray and and continue to pray and believe that as much as the walls of communism came down uh, around 1988 and an entire portion of the world was open to the gospel supernaturally, uh, this is the season, this is the time that God is bringing down the walls of Islam. Islam may be very loud around the world, it may sound scary, Muslims may sound uh, you know as adversarial, but what's actually happening behind the scenes, is that God is initiating a revival in the midst of the heart of Islam. This is not just the fad. This is the truth. And so people need to pray and believe that God can and will bring a great harvest amongst them in these last days.
0: Marnie FN, so refreshing and so good to hear your you. insights into what's happening in the Muslim world. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you